Church, today we're starting a brand new uh, series, um, and it's from the Old Testament. We're going to be looking at a book in the Old Testament uh, called Ruth, and Ruth is a four-chapter story, and it, it's layered with tragedy. It's layered with blessings. It, it's a reminder for each and every one of us to trust God, and it's a very amazing and powerful story. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, the verse you'll hear every week this month, it says this, therefore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. So church, as we dig into the book of Ruth today, um, there's no way for me to express fully that if you are open to God's moving, that you will truly experience God during this next couple weeks. You know, the book of Ruth has some tragedy in it. And, and you know, just like there's tragedy in the lives of so many of us in our lives and people that we love, and, and sadly, in this story, we'll see two women who lost everything. And in this story, though, God is very present, but not in the way that you would expect him to be present. See, it's perhaps one of the two books of the Bible where you don't see any physical miracles from God. I'm talking there's no parting of the Red Sea. There's no healing of the sick. There's no raising of the dead. But on every single page or in every verse, church, you will actually see the presence. You'll see the power and you'll see the providence of a very, very good God. And so in this very powerful and intimate book of the Bible, what we will do is we, it, will, it will speak to those of you who are hurting. It will speak to those of you who are discouraged right now. Maybe you're losing hope. Maybe you truly believe that God has something better for you. Maybe you are stuck in a place that you know that you shouldn't be in. I want to encourage you today, church. I want the book of Ruth to speak to you. So today as we're in this sermon series of Ruth, and, and we're going to call this sermon here, it's called A Time to Walk Away. So for those of you who have your Bibles with you, if you will turn to the book of Ruth, we're going to start in chapter 1. Ruth chapter 1 verse 1 says this, in the days when the judges ruled Israel. Now I, I do want to stop there for a quick minute, okay? See this, the book right before Ruth, if you got a, a paper copy of your Bible with you, the book before Ruth in the Bible is Judges, right? And in Judges verse 21 verse 25, chapter 21 verse 25 says this, in those days Israel had no king, all the people did whatever they seemed, whatever seemed right in their own eyes. Think about that for a minute. Sounds a lot like today, doesn't it? You know, not doing right what's in God's eyes is where the world struggles with today. And so I want to show you a connection here with the, that part of that verse there in Judges and what we're doing. So Ruth chapter 1 verse 1 says this. In the days when the judges ruled Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and his two sons with him. So we see a family right here, church. We see a family that's afraid that they're going to not have enough food. So they're going to make a move. Check out verse 2. The man's name was Elimelech. And his wife was Naomi. Their two sons <clears throat> were Malon and Kilion, and they were Ephratites, can't say that word, but Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. So, so these people, they were from Bethlehem, and they went to Moab, and the Bible says 
they lived there. And so let's break down these characters. I just introduced you to four characters in God's word there. And so I want you to understand and know the, the main people in the story. So Elimelech, he was the husband and he was the father. And in Bible times, your name actually meant something. It had a meaning behind it. And Elimelech means this, my God is king. That's the definition of his name, right? It's my God is king. Then we have his wife, the mom, Naomi. And her name means sweet and pleasant. Sweet and pleasant. And then we have the two sons. But before we talk about the kids and how in biblical times, as I mentioned earlier, that parents would pick the names. There were generally two ways that you would choose your child's name. The first one would be this. It was prophetically, based on what you wanted to see in your child's life. It was like you were trying to speak that in existence. You would pick a name. This is what I want my son to be. This is what I want my daughter to be. If my son, I want him to be strong. So we're going to call him strong. That's the name I pick for him. If it's my daughter, I want it to be godly. I want it to be pure, right? That's how they would pick it. Or they would choose a name based on what they saw. So after they were already born, they, they, they would choose a name for their child based on what they look like or, or things that they saw in their life, right? So Elimelech and Naomi, they likely named their children after they were born by what they saw because their two names, Melon, which means sick or sickly. That's what his name means. And Kilion, which means tired or frail. So they were probably... When they were born, they probably struggled in their early years. So their two sons, their name was Sick and Tired. They, they, they named them, not me, okay? So their children's names were Sick and Tired. So could you imagine? I'd like you to meet my sons. This is Sick and Tired, right? Some of you say that about your kids, and that's not even their name. I'm Sick and Tired of you and the way you act, right? Sometimes we do that with our kids. But some... Some of you, you're even like, you know, I didn't know that was an option. Can I change my kid's name now? I'd like to name them something different. Be nice, parents. So here we are. We have a guy named My God is King, whose wife is named Sweet and Pleasant, right? And their son's sick and tired. So, so Lemelech, he, he's worried about his family. As I read to you in chapter 1, Chapter 1, verse 1, they said there was a famine in the land. So there was a famine in Bethlehem. There wasn't enough food for them to eat. So he decided, I'm going to move my family from Bethlehem to Moab. Now, I want to give you an idea of what this would kind of look like for you so you can understand the, the geography of this. So to do this from Bethlehem, he would have to go around the Dead Sea to go to Moab. And so this would have been about a 50-mile journey. It was about a 50-mile journey, so if you walk three mile, miles per hour, I looked it up, the average person walks three miles per hour. I walk five miles per hour just because I'm always moving. But three miles per hour, it would take you 16 or 17 hours of walking to take this journey from Bethlehem to Moab. So it's a, a long couple of days or, or from that journey to make that happen, right, from, oh, Mo, to, from Bethlehem to Moab. But you know what, church? So he leaves Bethlehem, takes his family to Moab, and it ends up being a very big mistake. So he moves his family to Moab, and here's the reason it's a mistake. Because God strictly forgive, forbids his people from living in Moab. He strictly forbid this. 
So you might ask, why is this? You know, what's, what's wrong with Moab? Well, the Moabites, if you know anything about it, they were descendants of Moab, of course. And if you don't know who Moab is, you can go to Genesis chapter 19, and you can read about this. There's a story about a guy named Lot, his daughters, they kind of got him, they got their dad drunk, and they slept with him, and they con- one of them conceived a son, and when they had the baby, his name was Moab. Crazy daughters right there, right? So the Moabites, they were conceived out of incest, and so that's just the very beginning of their issues. And they also worshipped a false god. So they worship a false god, and then when they were worshiping this false god, they would literally actually sacrifice their children to this false god. And so if you wonder why God wouldn't let his people, didn't want his people being there, listen, he explains it very simply. If you'll turn with me to Psalm 60, in Psalm 60 verse 8, it says this, but Moab, my wash basin will become my servant, and I will wipe my feet on Edom and shout and triumph over the Philistine. So listen, God is saying, basically, you're my wash basin. That's what he thought of Moab. That you know, In other words, this is where I wash my dirty feet. That's what I feel about them. So Elimelech, so he takes his family from Bethlehem, which means, by the way, house of bread. Follow this with me, church. Bethlehem, the meaning of the word Bethlehem is house of bread, and he takes them to Moab, a place where God forbade them to go. He did what he thought he was supposed to do. Think about this. So when you think about this, it's very interesting. Elimelech, which means God is king, right? My God is king. But this guy wasn't living like God was his king. He wasn't living in that manner. Instead, he he was doing what he thought was right in his own eyes, which a lot of people do today. You know, it, it could be said that he's following his heart. Church, listen, don't follow your heart. The Bible says it's very deceitful. It will fool you. It will make you think you're doing right. So instead of doing, he was doing what he thought was right in his own eyes. And I started to think about this, church. You know, I, I really, I, was, I don't want to be too hard on him because I'm thinking in my mind, you know, there was this famine, right? And so he was probably thinking, if I go to Moab, there might be a better economy there, right? I can get a better job. I can provide for my family. And, and you know, you can kind of understand that a little bit, right? But you would, you and I, we would struggle in that area too, I believe. But church, this morning, I want to issue a very gentle spiritual warning that maybe for some of you sitting here today, you know, I've noticed when it comes to our families, myself included, you know, often we are very tempted, church. We are very tempted to prioritize economic provision over spiritual protection. That we are more worried about making sure that my family has not only what they want and what they need, but sometimes spoiling them to ridiculous, you know, levels. So in other words, if someone has a job, think about this. If you have a job offer that's somewhere else, somebody's offering you a job somewhere else, and the job offer, you know, it's a little bit more money, and most people just assume, oh, that must be a blessing from God. That must be the place that I'm supposed to go to so that I can have better provision for my family, so I can get them more things. You know what? I would take that job because I want to be more generous too. But sometimes that's not the way it is. 
Sometimes another way. I've seen many times people who are thriving spiritually. I'm talking about they're close to God. They're plugged into a very good Christian community. They are sitting in an awesome church, right? And they go somewhere for a little more money. And not only do they go somewhere and get that little more money, but they also get somewhere else. They may have more money, but what ends up happening is they have less God. They got more money, but they have less God. So be very careful. This is just a quick one on the side. Be very careful to not always prioritize economics over the presence of your heavenly father. Be very careful. Now let's get back to the story here. So things are a little tough in Bethlehem, right? So what do we do when things get tough? As believers in Jesus Christ, what do we do when things get tough? Do you continue to trust and obey God in Bethlehem? Think about this. When you've gone through something as Christians, as believers in Jesus Christ, we are called, right? We are called to fully trust him. So do you continue to trust and obey God in Bethlehem? Or do you leave and go to Moab? What do we as believers do? What do we do when times get tough? What do we do? Because the majority of us who are sitting here today, the majority of us are Christians. And when you are a Christ follower, when you are a believer in Jesus Christ, when you have accepted him as your Lord and Savior, you're saying, God is my king, right? God is king of my life. So I want to trust and obey God's word. I want to trust and obey God's word. So think about this. Maybe you're dating someone. Maybe you're engaged to someone. And God's word says this. It says, we are not to have sex before marriage. That this is reserved for the covenant of marriage and nothing else. So you're like, so I'm going to obey God. But then what happens is this. We start to compromise. And you say like, well, you know, we're really in love. You know, we're going to get married someday. So church, what do you do? Do you trust and obey God or do you move to Moab? Think about it. You know, my God is king of my life, right? I will honor him with what I have. I will return to him 10% of what he blesses me with in the form of a tithe. You know, it's not even mine. It belongs to him. All good things come from him, right? So what happens is money gets tight, and then things go on sale, and you want to buy it. So you compromise what it is that you promised to God. So do you trust and obey God? Or do you move to Moab? You know, my God is king of my life. I'm a Christian, so I'm going to stop getting drunk. You know, and then what happens is I had a really bad day today. I mean, I'm really stressed out. So do you trust God and obey church, or do you move to Moab? My God is king of my life. You know, I'm in a relationship, you know, and, and truly love her, truly love him, but things are tough. Things are hard to deal with, right? You know, I want to run. I want to run instead of praying for this person. I want to leave instead of being there for my husband or my wife and loving on them and seeing it through and seeking help and wise, wise counsel, but it's hard. And I want to run. So do I trust God and obey or do I move to Moab? Church, let me shoot straight with you, and I always do. <laughs> when times get tough, sometimes Moab looks tempting. For every single one of us, including the guy up on the stage, sometimes Moab looks 
tempting, right? You guys are being real quiet today like you've never seen Moab in your life. Listen, I'm not judging. I'm not. I understand. We, we all go through things, right? So this guy, he's got a dilemma. He's worried about his family. So what he does, he does what he feels is right in his own eyes like we read about there in Judges. But see, most of us, I believe that most of us has, have gone to Moab under way less pressure than what this guy is. We've gone there. My God is king of my life. But sometimes, church, we do what we think is right in our own eyes. So what happened? So in the book of Ruth here, they, they left Bethlehem, they went to Moab, and everything worked out fine. Everything worked out fine. They, they did what they wanted. They did what they felt. They trusted their heart, and they lived their own truth, and things worked out just as they had hoped. Nope, no way. It's not the way it really works, church. Let's look at Ruth chapter 1, verse 3. It says this, Then Elimelech died, and Naomi was left with her two sons. Verses 4 and 5 says this, The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpha, and the other married a woman named Ruth. But about 10 years later, both Malon and Kilion died, and they left Naomi alone without her two sons or her husband. So Naomi who left Bethlehem so that they would live, she ended up being left without her husband and her two sons. Elimelech dies. We don't know what happened. The Bible doesn't say. Maybe he had a heart attack. Maybe a camel hit him. I don't know. But she's left all alone. What we do know is this. She was left in a really, really bad place. If you know anything about biblical history, when a woman loses her husband, if she does not have sons, if she does not have brother-in-laws who are going to take her in, she is destitute. I mean, she cannot work. The only work that she can perform is prostitution. And there was no government subsidies out there that was going to bail her out. So here is Naomi, right? She is in a really bad way. Very bad way. So it's fascinating. Very fascinating. How many of you remember how far apart Bethlehem and Moab was 50 miles, 50 miles, maybe a day's walk, maybe two, right? If we're going to put it in today's standards, it's like driving to Youngstown today. See, it's not a long walk, but the Bible says that she stayed there for 10 years, 10 years. Think about that for a minute. And because she was away, she was away from God's people. She wasn't where she was supposed to be. Remember, they left. They left where God wanted them to be to go somewhere where God didn't want them to be. And because she was away from God's people, her sons married women who were not God's people. But I want to tell you something. If you've got kids, do you understand that is like the shortest window of your life? The influence that you have over your kids, it is a very short short window, and you have to set your children up for success. And I am not talking finances either. It's nice if you do that. But I'm talking about you set them up for success as you teach them God's word. You teach them what God has for them. You teach them where God wants them to be. I can't tell you how many times I've seen 
people pull out of the church when their kids are like fifth and sixth grade, and and then by the time they're in 12th grade, because they're not having them in the right circles, they're not having them in the right influences, and they're going to college or something, and the child's life is a disaster, and the parents, they sit there holding their heads going, I don't understand what went wrong. Here's what goes wrong. You took them away from God's people, and you wonder, why did the world influence them the way they did? Parents, it is our responsibility. It's ours. It rattles me so much to think that not only am I going to stand before God and give a full account of my life, but I also will stand before God and give an account of how I raised my children. Church, it's our responsibility. So here she is, Naomi, right? Her, 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 Her children, her boys did not marry women who were God's people. They married Moabite women. Now I want to give the boys the benefit of the doubt. See, these girls, they were probably really cute. They probably had really good personalities. And the boys probably thought, you know what? They're cute. They got great personality. I'll convert them. I'll bring them over to the good side, right? You know, because some of us are doing that right now. Some of us do that right now. You know, I, I hear people say it all the time. You know, you know, oh, they're really cute. They got a great personality. You know, they're so nice to me. Oh, this one actually has a job too. That's a bonus, right? The last one didn't even have a job. But I can convert them. Church, do you realize that yet in God's love for us, the love that our Heavenly Father has for us, He actually gives us very loving boundaries. He gives us loving boundaries. In raising my three boys, I tell you what, I I know, I believe with all my heart, I heard from all of them like, you don't ever want me to have any fun. You're right, I'm the biggest fun sucker you are ever going to meet in your life. That is my goal every morning when I wake up. I don't want you to have any fun. I don't want you to like life. I don't want you to enjoy it, right? No, I put boundaries around my kids. I did. I put boundaries around. Every once in a while, I let, I let them go to the edge of the boundary. I hold the back of that belt loop, though. You can look. It's over there. But you ain't crossing. God gives us boundaries. We are his children. And he gives us boundaries, loving boundaries, by the way. I've had the question asked so many times, is it okay if I am a Christian if I marry someone who is not a Christian? Now, the answer is not according to Mark Blakely, by the way. Don't get mad at me. But according to Scripture, the Bible says it's not okay. In the New Testament, it makes it very clear to us, right? In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, it says, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? And guess what? Listen, I understand That limits your playing field, doesn't it? It limits it a lot. But why is God so restrictive? He's not trying to spoil your fun. He's not trying to spoil your fun and and, and take things away from you. He's actually loving on you, church. He's loving on you like a good, good father. So I want to ask you this sincerely. Think about this. Believers in Jesus Christ, 
If God is king of your life, why would you want to spend your life and raise your kids with someone who doesn't see him as their king? Think about that for a minute. Why would you want that? You know, girls, you might be saying, oh, but he's so cute, so cute. Oh, preacher, he's so cute. He's so nice, right? But he's not a Christian. You know, one day you're going to hit yourself up to that, and one day your kid might get sick. Is Mr. Cute, guess what? He's not going to be able to pray for your sick kids. He might be able to rub a little bit cute on them, but he can't pray for them. And here's what's interesting. Going back to the story, why did they leave Bethlehem? They left so that they wouldn't die. And what happened? What happened is this. They did what they thought was right in their own eyes, and three of them actually died. So now we have three widows with no homes, no money, no hope. And finally, Naomi, the mother, she decides we're going to go back to Bethlehem. Check out verse 6 with me, if you will. It says, Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed the people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. With her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living, and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. But on the way, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back to your mother's homes, and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husband's and to me. So Orpah, you know what she decides? She goes, I'm going back. She left. She took Naomi. Okay, I'll take you up on that, Naomi. But here's the thing. Ruth decides to stay. Ruth decides to stay, and Ruth will speak to us for the very first time in the story. In, in, in Ruth chapter 1, verse 16, <clears throat> this is the very first time she speaks, and it's that big wedding cake verse that you've heard at weddings before yes it is in the bible and it says this in verse 16 but ruth replied don't ask me to leave you and turn back she's telling naomi i'm nope i ain't leaving you don't even ask me to do it and then she says this you've heard it before wherever you go i will go wherever you live i will live and your people will be my people and your god will be my god Church, Ruth declares this fierce loyalty to her mother-in-law. But the most important part of this verse is not the loyalty to the person, but she made a declaration of dependence on the one true God. Remember, Ruth was a Moabite. She was a Moabite. And when she said this, she says, I am no longer going to worship a false god. I will now worship the God of Israel. And so Ruth, what she did is she makes this dedication. And listen, that's her salvation. What did she do? What happened? Ruth and Naomi essentially did this. They left Moab and they returned to Bethlehem. See, this is a picture of what the Bible calls in the New Testament repentance. It's repentance. The word repentance, re means to turn, and pent means to the highest. Return to the highest, right? So it is to return from the lower place of Moab to that higher calling of Bethlehem. That's what it is, and it's to turn away. To turn away from where you were 
and to go back to where God has called you. So in order to return to Bethlehem, you have to turn your back on Moab. To go where God wants you to, church, you have to leave where you're at right now. And to get to the right place, you have to leave the wrong place. To get where God wants you to be, church, you've got to learn to walk away. To walk away from that place that is not God's will for your life. I could say it this way. If you're dating someone who's not honoring you, who's not honoring God, in order for you to marry the right person, you got to dump the wrong person. To get to the right place, church, of where God wants you to be, maybe you are living in Moab right now. To get to the right place, back to Bethlehem, you got to leave the wrong one. And what's amazing is this. She made one decision. Ruth made one decision to turn her back on Moab and go to the one true God of Bethlehem. And in this one decision, this one act of repentance, this one choice changed her life and changed her legacy. One choice. It even changed the course of the entire world. It did. You've heard of Bethlehem before. We talked about it all last month. But do you understand what the word Bethlehem means? It means house of bread. Bethlehem means house of bread. And Jesus Christ, by the way, who was born in Bethlehem, is the one that we call bread of life. The bread of life was born in the house of bread. I don't see, I don't want to give away the biggest part of the book of Ruth, but I got to tell you this morning, Jesus was a descendant of a sinful Moabite woman who left Moab to go to Bethlehem. Church, that is how amazing our God is. Through the woman who worshiped a false god. Through the one decision, she made one decision. We will see that living water. We will see the bread of life. We will see the prince of peace, the good shepherd, the Lord of lords, right? The king of kings, the alpha and omega. Through her lineage, Jesus Christ will be born. So at one moment of repentance, one single decision. So what does that mean for you? They taught me at the Bible college that whenever you're reading a verse, whenever you're giving a sermon, you always wrap it up with what does it mean to me? What does it mean to you? I'm going to ask you this morning. I want you to be very, very open to what the Holy Spirit might show you. But I wonder if there is still some part of your life that's in Moab this morning. I'm talking about in a place that God forbids us to be. Is there a part of your life this morning, some area of your life where you're saying, oh, my God is king, yet you are doing what is right in your own eyes and not in his? Is there some area of your life where you're claiming, yes, I am a follower of Jesus, but yet you're following your own truth and not God's truth. So this morning, as I ask the praise team to come up here this morning, I'm asking God to speak to us. I'm asking God to show us. I'm asking God to convict us this morning. I'm asking God to lead us back to Bethlehem and out of Moab. So what do you do with this church? 
This is the question for you to ask. What one decision do you have to make in your life? What one action could you take today that would change the trajectory and the legacy of your life? What one action can you take in your life to leave Moab and to go back to Bethlehem where God intended you to be? Church, if you need some help, I can help you. I'm the preacher. Maybe it's your finances. You are not trusting God. You're not trusting me at all. You're not even giving him back what he deserves, that small portion. Maybe for you this morning, it's that you need to apologize first. Somebody did you wrong, but maybe you need to start it off and say, I apologize for what my part is in all of this. Some of you, maybe you need to break up with someone. Some of you maybe need to move out. Maybe some of you, you need to stop following someone that isn't godly, that isn't good for you. Maybe this morning, some of you, your Moab is you need to confess some addictions that you have in your life. Some of you need to surrender someone to God that you've been trying to control all the surface of it. You've been trying to control the life of someone and trying to direct it and and change it and do stuff with it. And I want to tell you, parents, there is no harder job than raising grown children. And you need to release that person to God. Say, God, I surrender that person to you. Maybe some of you this morning, you could fall on your knees in broken repentance and surrender to Jesus Christ. To get to the right place, church, you gotta leave the wrong place. The word return is used in the Bible 1,100 times. So I wanna add one to it right now. How many of you need to return to God this morning? I'm talking about one decision. I'm talking about one moment. I'm talking about one choice that can change your life. So for those of you who are still hanging out in Moab, maybe it's just a piece of you. There's something that you haven't given up. There's something that you have not given to your heavenly father and you're continuing to live in that Moab, that place where God says, I don't want you to be there. Listen, let today be the day where you said, I am no longer gonna live my life like that. Lord, I want to give it to you. And let me tell you what that looks like. You recognize where you're at. You recognize what you're doing. And man, you repent of that sin. You ask God to forgive you of it. And listen, he will. There is nothing that you have done that God can't forgive you for and use in a mighty way in your life this morning. You invite Jesus Christ into your heart and you follow him in Christian baptism and church. Listen, he will make you brand new you will see different you will think different you will talk different and you will act different but it comes from submitting unto him so how many of you want to leave Moab this morning if that's for you I want to encourage you come forward we'll walk you through the process maybe you just need to come up here and pray all by yourself whatever it is you need to do let today be the day where you draw that line of sand saying I am no longer going to live this way in my life but for the rest of you believers who are sitting here today that there's something in you that you have not given fully over to God. Maybe at one time you surrendered it to him, but you know what we do? We like to go back and pick it back up. Even though it does us no good, it causes us harm, it even makes us sick. But maybe today there's something that you need to give back to him. So whatever that is, 
I want to encourage you and I want to challenge you this morning to do just that. So how about it, church? Let's stand together and let's sing. But I want to encourage you to respond this morning.